You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Things off this hour. Welcome to another edition of Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, on a Calgary Flames game day. The five eight and two Calgary Flames welcoming in the twelve three and one Vancouver Canucks. And of course, we're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Lots to get set for in tonight's matchup between the Flames and the Canucks. The first of a two-game homestand at the Scotiabank Saddledome for the Flames. They'll welcome in Vancouver Thursday night. And then the team that the Vancouver Canucks beat on Wednesday night, the New York Islanders will come to Calgary for a 5 o'clock showdown on Saturday at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. All our Flames coverage gets going at 6 o'clock tonight. Pat Steinberg has your Flames warm-up show. Taking all the way up until 7 o'clock where Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson will call the Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Flames looking to make it two in a row. After ending off a three-game road trip with a win in Montreal, we'll also take a look at the surging Vancouver Canucks a little later on this hour. Our pal Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver is going to join us. Bo Horvat made his emotional return to Vancouver last night. See how exactly Vancouver's gotten off to this red-hot start. They enter Thursday's game against the Flames as the top team in the Western Conference. Thursdays on the program also mean a chat with our pal Adnan Verk from MLB and NHL Network. And a quick reminder, you want to shoot us a text? The fan feedback line always open to you here on the program. You're listening live, 960-960. My outstanding producer, all by his lonesome today, is Cam Hughes. You're rocking over there, Cam? Doing all right, buddy. Ready to roll. Uh, we've got lots to get to on a game day, of course. Starting with uh, the Calgary Flames. Taking a look at tonight's lineup. Jacob Markstrom will get the start for the Calgary Flames. He was outstanding in their last game out against Montreal, helping them to that 2-1 victory. So no surprise that Jacob will get the start against his former team. And they'll roll with a similar lineup to what they had against the Habs, per our pal Pat Steinberg, of course, to host the Flames Talk and Flames Hockey here on Sportsnet 960. Here is how the Flames will line up against the Vancouver Canucks. Adam Ruzicka on the left side with Elias Lindholm and Andrew Mangiapane. Kadri centering uh, the two youngsters, Connor Zeri and Martin Pospisil. Jonathan Huberto remains on the left side of Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. A.J. Greer, Yegor Sharangovich, and Dylan Dubé Make up your fourth line, your D pairings, Uyghur Anderson, Hannafin Tanev, 
Zadorov with D. Simone. And again, Jacob Markstrom will get the start in goal. And we'll see uh, exactly what the Flames can do tonight against a red-hot Vancouver Canucks team. I mentioned they're coming in off of a win Wednesday night against the New York Islanders. And as you look at the NHL's uh, stats right now heading into um, tonight's matchup with the Calgary Flames, you'll look and see uh, the top three points producers in the NHL this season right now all come from the same team. JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes all currently tied for first in the NHL with 26 points each this season. Look over in the goals category, tied for first with Kyle Connor of the Winnipeg Jets is Brock Besser of the Vancouver Canucks. Quinn Hughes leads all NHL players with 20 assists this season. Uh, It's been a remarkable start this year. Thatcher Demko already with eight wins on the season for Vancouver. We'll dive more into the Canucks side of things coming up again with Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. But it's a game day. Let's take you to the Scotiabank saddle. Don't get you set for tonight's matchup with the Vancouver Canucks starting by hearing from the head coach, Ryan Huska, what does he want to see from his group as they look to make it two in a row with a win against Vancouver tonight? Well, let's hear from him. His thoughts on a game day, Flames versus Canucks. Ryan, how, how proud are you of this team? You know, there's a lot of noise. There's been a lot of noise for a year and a half, let's be honest, but there's really been a lot of noise the last week and a half, and this team's gone on a nice little run. It's a it's a challenge at times. They're in a market where people are very passionate. There's uh, a lot of attention on um, Canadian teams, and we are right in the mix of that. So you have to make sure that they do it. This is the day that's right in front of them, and that's what we've asked them to do. And I think they've done a real good job of that lately. And that starts with Michael. So um, I think that's the reason why they've handled it well. Is he's uh, he's doing a good job of kind of pulling them all tighter together and keeping things inside what does what can the effect of a captain doing that be or what does michael do that sort of galvanizes these guys during these moments Uh, yeah just like i said he's uh um he's a very proud passionate man and we're seeing more of his um you know not just leadership on the ice but his his vocal ability off the ice as well so he's done a a real good job of of keeping the group um, connected if i can put it that way I know you're focused on your group, but do you get the same feeling for a game against Vancouver that you do for sort of a rivalry game like Edmonton? Uh, every game, you know, um, these these games are fun. Like we have a lot of there's connections with Vancouver, Marquee, of course. You know, there's there's a lot uh, along those lines, um, and they're always they always seem to bring the best out of us. So whether that's because of the rivalry or it's just you know things like the the Marquee thing playing for us now, but um, this is a, a good test for us because they're playing. Um, near the top of the league right now, and they have some guys that are real dangerous. We know that by looking at the the, the um, scoring leaders in the NHL. So it'll be a fun night for us. What are they doing so well in your, in your eyes? Uh, they don't give you a lot of time and space. So the one thing they're doing is really skating, and they're top guys when they create the turnovers. They have skill set that they can make you pay. So if you're, you're not willing to stick with it for 60 minutes, um, they can wear you down. So it's a great challenge for our group. Do you, do you feel like your defense pairs are closer to set? We've seen the same ones several games in a row now. Do you feel like you have something there? I think we're getting there. I do. Um, you know, we challenge the, um, you know, if you want to call it the five of them. Um, Nick and, and Dennis are, are guys that are, are really pushing each other to stay in there consistently. Um, 
but you want them to feel good about who they're playing with all the time. It's the same with forward lines. Eventually, you want to you want to set on something so they know exactly where they're going to be. They have that dialogue, whether it's just um, by looking at their line mate or actually talking to them. Um, you get a better connection when you're around guys more often, and I think we're getting there on the back end. What uh, what's Nick done? It's been a while since we've seen Dennis. So what's Nick done to stay in? He well, the one thing that he has going to his advantage is the right hand shot. And as silly as that may sound, it's important. Um, he's he's got good feet, and I think with the speed of the game nowadays, he's able to keep up with the pace. Um, and he's kept his game really simple. And I think Nikita's done a good job with him there. What do you see of um, uh, Blake and, and Michael's game that can bring something out of Jonathan, or how to tell you those three complement each other now that? You- um, consistently, Blake and, and Michael have been really good for us, both ends of the ice. Um, and there's a, a different level of intelligence with with backs where he kind of knows where people are a lot of the times. And it, we've talked about it earlier this year. seems like whoever you play with Michael, any young guy that goes with them, they tend to, I don't know if it's just breathe a little bit with them because they know he's there to cover up some of their mistakes. So um, Blake and Michael have connections. So uh, putting um, Hubie there is something that we're hoping will will find a little bit of a spark for us. That's head coach Ryan Huska on a game day following morning skate at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Bit there on the D pairings, Nick Simone, and a lot more at the end there on the third line, if you want to call it that, with Michael Backlund, Blake Coleman, and Jonathan Huberto. Got our first taste of that this season in the Flames' win against the Montreal Canadiens. And I didn't think it was an instant fit. I, I still have questions whether or not Huberto fits on that line. I know Michael Backlund is often, as you heard from the coach there, so often looked as a fixer or a guy that can can play with everybody. But I, I just look at the skill sets of a Coleman and of a Backlund, and I don't know that they mesh with Huberto. It's one game. Uh, we're not going to base it fully off of that. I didn't think Jonathan had a great game uh, against Montreal, but I did say as well, and I still believe if you're going to give it a shot, one game's not a big enough sample size. Let it play out at least for four or five games to see if there's a fit there. There's been a lot of line shuffling. Um, some of it necessary. Some of it's come up with a couple of really good combinations for this team, but I still think maybe unlike the D, that um, Brian Husker was talking about there that's sort of solidifying itself on a night-to-night basis kind of feels like there's still some movement and some pieces that need to be figured out when it comes to this Flames forward group. Let's hear from Jonathan Huberto. He was one of the players to do media availability today as well ahead of this game against the Canucks. Uh, Lots on him and his new combination of line mates uh, with uh, Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. Let's hear from the Flames forward on a game day. Here is Jonathan Huberto. So you're playing with Backlund and Coleman for a second straight game. It seems the way you've seen out of the game with their play, and how can you complement those two guys? Yeah, I think, I mean, they're, they're guys that are really responsible, you know, defensively. And I think, uh, you know, we, we play against top lines, so I think you just got to make sure you're good defensively. And I think, you know, Back's really smart guy. I think he's in the right position a lot of times, so I think that's a thing that can help help us offensively. And Colsey, I mean, is a he's a fast guy and he's a guy that has a good shot too. So, how do those guys affect maybe things you do on the ice, whether it's defensive play or things like that? Yeah, I think we, you know, we can get the puck quicker defensively. And I think in, in the offensive zone, I mean, we can create some stuff. I think they're, you know, like I said, they're smart. I think we, 
we can hang on to pucks and get some offensive uh, zone time. You talk about players, top players and top lines. Is that something that you embrace and kind of fires you up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think you want to play against the best player and be better than them. I think that that challenges you, you know, to be better. And you know, that's uh, you know, Backstrang. Uh, he's always been playing against. Uh, Top player, so I think it's it's good, you know, to be part of that line and take some pride in it. In terms of playmaking, where are you hoping to in neutral zone things like that with the puck, or do you feel like you're you're getting back to the levels you've been at in the past, or how's that? How you feeling that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's uh, it's coming. I mean, you guys asking me every day, but I mean, it's a uh, it's a thing. Obviously, I work on every day. I want to I want to be better, and I think you know I'm working hard, so uh, the, the work is there. Just to get you know the, the touches a little a little quicker, you know, trust myself a little bit more. As a group, what are you what are you seeing from the team and your team play that you like? It's you've been able to put some points on the board of late. Yeah, I think it's it's good. I mean, it's a good road trip, and you know we we have a hard schedule. We're going on the road again, so I think we've got to take these two games at home and you know, in front of our fans. I think is hasn't been easy, so you know we gotta we gotta show them what kind of team we are. So I think. You know, we, we, lately we've been playing better, more consistent, I think, throughout 60 minutes, and that's what we've got to do against a really good team that's coming in tonight. What's that injection of Zary and Pospisil done in the room, whether energizing you vets or on the ice even? How's that helped you? It's good. I mean, it's good to see that. I mean, their line has been creating chances, and it's it's good to see that. I mean, you know, let's say you get scored, they're, they're, they're coming on the ice and they're creating some stuff, and it's, uh, you know, young guys coming in, get the, the confidence is there. They're playing hard, and, you know, it's it's good to see that. And you want to follow these guys. Jonathan Huberto on a game day. He'll be back on the line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman for the second straight matchup. See if the Flames can't get number 10 going in this matchup against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, his former line mate, Elias Lindholm, also doing the media rounds on Thursday ahead of this matchup against the Vancouver Canucks. Let's hear from him now uh, as he gets set for this matchup tonight. You look at that road trip. Um, you come back probably with some of that momentum, I guess, and uh, certainly a, a red-hot team here, a division rival. All of it kind of goes into kind of keeping the momentum. Going, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, I thought we had, uh, uh, you know, some good, uh, good um, pairs during that road trip where we, you know, played pretty good hockey. So obviously, there's, uh, you know, we'll take the one-one and one and and be 500 and come back here and, you know, we'll get a Tough test today. Vancouver uh, is uh, playing well. Uh, a lot of good players, so it'll be a good. Uh, hopefully, can build off that road trip and, and you know put a good game. If you are going to have success against Vancouver, what is the secret to it? Uh, stay out of the box. You know, play hard on the top players and stay above and don't give them too much room. It's uh, those old cliches. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have points in for your last five games as a team. Maybe what's what's what you've been doing differently over this past stretch that that's resulted in that success. I mean, uh, I think I had chances. Um, just got to put them in. Uh, uh, you know, it would have been different if I, you know, just get around, didn't have any chances and so on. So uh, it will come. I think, uh, you know, uh, as long as we, you know, the team is playing well and uh, I know, I'm not worried and focused on that, uh, it's all about the winning. Was it good to, to win a low-scoring game, like a 2-1 game against Montreal? Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, yeah, I thought Marky played well and, and you know, uh, probably made some big stops that could result in, in, uh, in a goal for him. But, uh, you know, it's always nice to, to, to win those uh, tight games and, and so on. So, um, yeah, might be good for confidence and, and so on. 
Yeah, we'll see. You talk about those chances. How are you feeling about your overall game? I guess as a player, as long as you're getting them, you feel okay. You certainly want to capitalize, but how would you evaluate the way you're playing? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously room for improvement, but uh, uh, I mean, uh, I think, uh, like I said, it will come. Um, you know, uh, just got to work harder, and, and you know, when I get those chances, got to, you know, don't grab my stick too hard and, and so on. So uh, just, just got to get back to basics. What uh, are these kids like Zary and Post was allowed either on the ice or in the room as rookies? Uh, say that again? Sorry. Like Zary and Post with all these young kids coming up and having success. What does that add to a team either in, in the room or, or on the ice? No, it's good. I mean, uh, both really good players and obviously showed it right away and, and been a huge impact for us. Um, you know, they're good kids uh, coming in with a lot of energy and, and you can tell the way they play the game too. They have a lot of energy every night and so on. So it's, uh, they've been, uh, they've been uh, looking really good and, and, and that's good for us. That's Elias Lindholm, the Flames forward up to 15 games this season. Eight points, two goals, six assists. Considering that top line, he'll have Adam Rzichka on his left side and Andrew Mangiapane on the right as they've, of course, shifted Jonathan Huberto down with Backlund and Coleman. Uh, interesting to see what Elias Lindholm can do away from Jonathan Huberto. I've started to hear a bit from Flames fans, whether it be on social media or on the text line, wondering if the number one center for this Calgary Flames team is is one of the guys that can get this group going. I don't know that there was necessarily a ton of chemistry there, at least on the ice with, with Jonathan Huberto. Uh, we'll see what he can do in game two with Ruzichka and Mangiapane. One more uh, player to hear from ahead of the game day against the Vancouver Canucks defenseman, Mackenzie Weger. Looking forward to the challenge of taking on one of the league's top teams in the Vancouver Canucks. Let's hear from the Flames defenseman ahead of this matchup with Vancouver. Mackenzie, when you see the firepower of Vancouver right now, there's a lot of offense over mm-hmm. there, and they're getting it from their back end as well. What's what's the key for your group to try and contain that? Uh, I think we've got to be physical on our key players. Obviously, like you said, they're a pretty talented group, and they're they're a pretty confident group right now. So, um, you know, I think we've got to come out and make them defend right away and uh, be physical on their skill. And for you guys, I mean, there's some momentum coming off of that road trip. This probably comes at the right time mm-hmm. for, your, for your room. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we're feeling good after a big win, but uh, I think we're, we moved past the road trip now. We're trying to get a, you know, a quick little homestand here with two quick wins, and uh, we got to focus on Vancouver, and like you said, there we got to shut down their big boys. It's funny how you know momentum or confidence can happen, and wins certainly will dictate that. But what have you noticed about your your group, the way it's kind of lent itself to finding ways to win, staying in games, and winning differently as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know we got a lot of character in the room, but I think um, you know the young guys have been key for you know helping us get these wings. I think Zari's been great, Posby's been awesome, you know Desi and Gilbert. Um, you know everybody's been kind of contributing right now. Um, you know, those guys are confident, which is leading to, you know, everybody feeling pretty confident right now. You've, you've had points for your last five games as a team, I think. Just what, what, where are you at in the process or what, what have you done differently maybe to, to get that result? Uh, I think, you know, we've just kind of been trusting the process. Um, we stuck with it. Um, you know, like I said before, we've, we've got the group in here. We just got to stay with it, buy into the system, buy into, you know, our game plans. And um, like, you, like I said to Ryan, I think the young guys have done a great, great job at, you know, picking up this room.
And how does that work with the in the room with these kids that are playing their first games, getting their first points? For a guy that's been there for a long time, how does that energy rub off on you and the others? Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, you see the smiles on their face, but just I think it's made the room a little bit more competitive. I think you know, um, you know, maybe some guys are you know fighting for bigger roles or bigger jobs, and it's creating a little bit more of a competitive attitude in our dressing room, which I think is what we needed. Yeah, Edmonton's the big rival around here, but Vancouver's not far behind mm-hmm. for a lot of fans. Do you guys feel that? Yeah, absolutely. It's another Canadian team, uh, you know, not too far away. Um, I think they've come out hot and they've got all the confidence, but, I, you know, um, I think it's going to be a great test for us tonight. Um, you know, if, if we get a win tonight, I think that'll be a, a big key going into the rest of the year for us tonight, beating a great team. Around this team, yeah. no one can escape that. Yeah. How proud of you that you guys have gone on this little run of late and kind of shut that out? Yeah, you know what? There's been a lot of noise, uh, a lot of drama, like you can say. And um, you know, it's we've done a great job at just kind of shutting it out and just focusing on in our room and and you know, getting on the ice and forgetting about all that noise and and just focusing on ourselves. You know, it's it's only going to be us in here that can get us out of this you know little slump and and get us back into the swing of things here and, and get us back into uh, you know a playoff spot. So I think we've done a good job. I think we got some more battling to do, um, but right now uh, I'm pr- pretty proud, like you said, of how we've kind of cut out that noise. Do you feel like you are under the slump, though? I mean, you're seven of the last ten points. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to come. Uh, I think it's going to take some time, obviously. Um, it's not going to come easy, but yeah, look, we're getting points in a lot of games right now against good hockey teams, and uh, we've got to continue that. Mackenzie Weger, final member of the Flames to do media on a game day. Flames and Canucks coming your way at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Pat Steinberg, has got your Flames warm-up at 6 Derek and Megan on the call at seven uh, for part of nine games on the NHL schedule tonight. One of them already underway. The global series uh, in Sweden has the Sens up four, nothing on the Red Wings midway through period two. You got the Coyotes and the Blue Jackets at five o'clock golden Knights in Montreal to take on the Habs devils, penguins, lightning Blackhawks at six o'clock tonight. You can watch that game on Sportsnet three sixty. And then your late starts tonight, 8 o'clock in Seattle, Islanders and Kraken. Panthers visit the Kings at 8.30, and it's the Blues and the Sharks to end things off from San Jose. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It is the Flames game day this Thursday night. Flames and Canucks. All-Canadian matchup from the Scotiabank Saddledome. First to two at home for the Flames before a four-game road trip. You'll see the Western Conference leading Canucks Thursday and then the New York Islanders in town for Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. Note the start time on Saturday. Used to the 8 p.m. starts here in Calgary. It'll be a 5 p.m. start on Saturday night. Again, one hour before puck drop, Pat Steinberg will have Flames warm up here on Sportsnet 960. The fan world. Get more on the Flames and Canucks matchup as we continue on this afternoon, but it is a Thursday. That means it's time to go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in our Thursday regular on the program, Adnan Verk, who joins us from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Happy Thursday, Adnan. How are you, pal? Logo, great to be with you. How are you, pal? I'm doing great, man. Just uh, a little bit of a warm day here, so I'm running around with the kids right now for a little football around, so it's... Uh... We'll take these days when we can. Not sure about you if you're a golf guy. I know last year we talked about tennis. I'm not a golfer, as you know, but of course you know I love tennis. And a friend of mine said, why don't we play tennis today? You know, it's like plus 14. But I'm not, I'm not big on that. You know, like I know the golf addicts, 
they like to golf from like you know March 25th until November 18th if you can, right? Yeah. But I like tennis when it's nice and hot. I like it, you know, plus 20s, plus 30s. Like let's get let's get a good sweat. If it's you know plus 13, I I, I can pass in the tennis. You? Yeah, you know I'm a big I'm a big golf guy. I like to get out a couple times a year. And funny enough, you mentioned it. We got a little bit of snow here last night, uh, but our November's been stunning here in Calgary. We've been plus temperatures. Uh, our pal Wes Gilbertson, wow. who does uh, Flames Talk with Pat and is a, a contributor here for Post Media, uh, he's a he's a huge golf guy, and he was reporting the other day uh, a couple of our city-owned golf courses are actually open this weekend uh, for like plus ten, plus eleven temperatures. They're taking bookings at a couple Calgary. Uh, golf courses. I can't remember this late in November ever hearing about anybody hitting the golf course in Calgary. Well, that's pretty shocking, and you're right. I, I mean, stereotypes abound sometimes. You know, you picture you guys with three feet of snow in November. I know that's not the case, but again, to be to, to be golfing in November, that's pretty shocking. But yeah. again, it, given your druthers as a golf guy, would you rather golf in unseasonable temperature? Or not golf at all? That's really the question I'm asking. Oh, uh, probably not golf at all, to be honest. Yeah. That's the answer I was looking for. Like yeah. It's meant to be a warm weather sport. You walk in the range, have a nice conversation. If you're like bristling and like wearing a sweatshirt, like a big hoodie, you're like no, that, that's not fun. Then like, we'll no, find something else to do. no. I'd, I'd much rather. Uh, even if I did have an opportunity to get on the course this weekend, if a buddy called me up, I was like, hey, I gotta go. I get. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. I'll, I'll catch you next season. We'll hit the driving range or something. We got a couple indoor ones. I, I think I'll wait till next year. 100%. Plus 15 today? That's not warm enough for me for tennis or for golf. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we got some fun baseball news to check off our list. We were talking last week about how uh, the news comes fast and furious in the MLB offseason. World Series hits and bam, you're into free agency. You're into major moves. We've got Cy Young Award winners and we've got big news today. We kind of knew this was coming, but uh, MLB owners approved the Oakland A's relocation to Las Vegas, that's a good thing, Verk, but it does leave uh, a bit of a gap between uh, relocation here for the A's, who won't have a stadium ready in Las Vegas and will have to play at some AAA parks to make this work. Is that an okay outcome in your mind for MLB owners to, to sort of take this movement, which is going to help the A's, no doubt, but have to kind of take it in the teeth attendance-wise for a couple of years at a AAA market? Listen, first and foremost, it's just a sad day if you're a fan of the Oakland A's, man. Like, there's there's no question about it. it it's awfully gut-wrenching to lose your team. To go way back for people in this area, they remember the Brooklyn Dodgers. It just wasn't the same when they went to Los Angeles, the O'Malley family forever, pilloried. You think about football, you know, Art Modell and the truck leaving in the middle of the night. Obviously, the Expos for our fellow Canadians. But that was like losing a team going to Washington. So, that's the first thing to me. Like once you hear your team is leaving, it's just it's gut wrenching. And in baseball it hasn't happened since the Expos, so it's it's painful to see. And you know, normally in these situations, it's easy to, to demonize the owner and say what happened. But honestly, it's, I think there's a lot of blame to go around, Logo. I mean, I look at it like, oh, you know, how could they not get financing done in Oakland at some point? I've been to that stadium. It's a dump, as we all know. The sewage system a disaster. Like, and trust me, I'm not the guy saying taxpayers should pay for billionaire stadiums. But something should have been done along the way. Like, we've known since 2005 that Oakland needed a new stadium, and it's taken, you know, 18 years before it finally got to a decision. So uh, it's just frustrating more than anything. As you know, my wife's from the Bay Area, so she grew up loving the A's, loving the Giants. And, uh, you know, I kept saying, why can't you have the San Jose A's? You know, I've been to Sharks games, 
San Jose is like a million people now in that area. So Oakland has you know been depressed over the years. It's got a bit of a comeback now, but like San Jose is a spot. So you could clearly have the San Jose A's and San Francisco Giants, but of course. San Francisco because of territorial rights doesn't want that to happen, et cetera. So to your overarching question, which is, what do you make of all this? I think eventually in Vegas, it's going to be great. Now, it's a small market, which is going to be tough, but it's Vegas. It's a very atypical small market in that you know may not have as many people as other major cities. But when you look at the wider reach of it and the appeal of it and the fact it's growing like crazy between the Golden Knights and now having a football team, Vegas really is a spot to be. So you can see why it's such an attractive place for Major League Baseball. As far as what happens in the interim, so next year, think how painful that is. Lame duck. You know you're leaving the A's. you got one more year in Oakland. That's already rough. Right? That's like you, you know you're leaving the neighborhood, but you're going to live there for a year. Like that's just, <laughs> the, neighbor, right? the neighbors know you don't want to be a part of it. They know, they know that you're not a fan of them. Okay, i got to stay for one more year. i got to ignore the house parties, the block parties for one more year. My house might get egged. I'm like, okay, great. So that's already awkward as heck. I mean, I think if you just love baseball, you'll still want to go. If you're a diehard A's fan, you still want to go. Maybe you're going to see other teams and players, right? Yankees in town, they're going to draw kind of thing. But that's very awkward. Now, two years after that, because it sounds like the stadium won't be ready until 2027, I believe, which is going to be, you know, this is incredible stadium. They're going to, I think, knock down the Flamingo or one of those hotels. So it's, it's going to be spectacular, I'm sure. But where do you play then? So you could make a deal to Oakland, hey, for two more years, can we just hang around? But I, I can't imagine the city, the team, anybody really wants that because that's just awkward already to begin with. Then that means you play in the minor league facility, which I believe it seats about 13,000. So it's not unheard of because we saw the Jays do it with Dunedin and Buffalo. But, I mean, those were trying times because of COVID. Mm. But I heard another idea floated today that potentially they could split games in San Francisco. So when the Giants are on the road – the A's could play at home there. So I heard there could be a combination of playing in San Francisco at that fantastic ballpark, but then also playing in Las Vegas as well. So I don't know how it's all going to shake out. Um, you know, I think best case is you're in Vegas as much as possible because then you're just building a new fan base. Even though it's only 13,000, you say, if we can sell it out, that'd be great. The big question I'm not sure of, though, is the heat. Like, how hot does it I, I can't imagine a day baseball game in July. I don't even know if they have a roof there. Like, that, that, that's my first concern. I, I don't actually know because I can't imagine you could play in 100-degree heat. Obviously, where I just was in Arizona with the Diamondbacks, they told me that's a retractable roof. It's only open, and they weren't exaggerating, the first weeks of April and then for the playoffs. Like, other than that, that thing is always close. It's always 100 degrees. So yeah. uh, there's definitely a lot of questions here. But my, my first thought is just freshman for the A's, man. Like I said, I, it was, what was I, 10, 11, 88, 89? I remember the Bash brothers and Kinseko and McGuire, and I thought Oakland was like the place to be. I thought that was like the hottest spot for baseball. And I'll always think fondly of those teams led by Tony La Russa. So the fact they're not going to have baseball there, man, after all those World Series in the 70s as well, it's, uh, it's just sad, man. It really is. Do you worry about a sports fatigue in, in Las Vegas? Do you think that's a big enough market to support all of these entities? The Golden Knights came in, and look, they were the first child, and, and they had success right off the bat, and – uh, the NFL is a, a giant that doesn't seem like it could lose in any market. I just, I wonder how oversaturated that might be. And, and maybe I'm worrying about nothing and maybe they're in there in 2028 and everybody's got enough to go around, but it's kind of come up out of nowhere that Vegas is turning into this massive sports conglomerate all of a sudden. Yeah, I think it's the place to be initially Logan, but I think you're absolutely right to at least raise the question because Again, it's not a major market. Like, otherwise, you would have had teams in Las Vegas before. 
And if there wasn't such a stigma around gambling prior, you would have had teams there before. So, you know, whenever I look at baseball and places to expand, I always look at, you know, how big is the actual place? Because if you're going on that level, then, you know, you can get a team in Vancouver. There should be a team in Montreal. Like that's 2 million people. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's already a built-in fan base to talk about potentially baseball in Nashville. I'm going to be in Nashville actually for the first time in a few weeks for the winter meetings in December. And look, I'm really curious to be there because I get it. Hey, baseball is popular in Tennessee and Nashville is a cool spot for the Predators and the Titans, but are they big enough to handle a major league baseball team, 40,000 fans day in, day out? It's not a major city, nor is Nashville and nor is Las Vegas. And I think you're right. They're definitely the sexy, shiny convertible right now because you saw how quickly they adopted Vegas and the fact they won a cup in six years that buys an enormous amount of equity and will always be the first one to, to lay that flag down there. Football is football. It's always going to be massively popular in America, and obviously they've continued that trend of success there. But you're right. I think baseball will definitely have appeal, certainly in 28 with a new park. I think for a couple of years, the minor league park might be a little tricky, you know, 13,000 fans if it's hot. It's, I, I hear, by the way, the park is fantastic. It's not like, like an old dilapidated park, like how the Jays played in Dunedin. So yeah. that's the good news. Apparently it's, a, apparently it's a very nice minor league ballpark. That's the good news. And I think for a few years it's there, but, but I'm with you, man. The biggest thing for me is winning. Like, if you come out of the gate and your team stinks for five years, that's a problem. The, the greatest thing the Golden Knights did is they won. Like, they hit the yeah. ground running. And, again, you and I know it's well-documented how the, um, the draft went, the expansion. Like, people thought it was ridiculous, the fact that, you know, there was way too many advantages given to Vegas. And, you know, they tried to fix that with Seattle. Like, okay, let's not, let's not make sure we build a juggernaut here for these expansion teams right away. <laughs> but credit to Vegas, they were able to do so, and I think – just having a shiny new toy gives you two or three years. So Vegas is fine for like 28, 29, 30. But if they're losing 100 games every year, then you're right. Very quickly you go, uh, I don't think we're building many baseball fans here. I wish we could have figured things out in Oakland. There's a chance of that happening for sure. It's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Uh, we got the Cy Young winners announced yesterday. Blake Snell, your NL Cy Young Award winner, uh, seventh pitcher to earn baseball's top pitching prize in both leagues. 28 of 30 first place votes uh, by the Baseball Writers Association of America. He uh, recently turned down a qualifying offer from the Padres. He's looking to get paid this offseason, Adnan. Who uh, do you look out there and say, I can see them paying up for the services of now uh, a Cy Young winner in both leagues in uh, a guy like Blake Snell? Well, I think the first thing is you just appreciate the accomplishment. This is only the third pitcher ever to win the signing award while also leading the league in walks. So what does that tell you? It tells you he has incredible stuff, and he was used the expression they used to say of Randy Johnson, effectively wild. Blake said, well, put runners on, but because of his stuff is so good and he's a premier strikeout pitcher, he can strike those guys out. And, and he spoke about it at one point saying, you know, I actually got comfortable with it before I get scared of walks. And I said, you know what, like, I'm good enough. I can figure it out. Like, I'm not going to, on a 3-1 count, lay in a fastball and get drilled. I'll nibble a little bit, and if my pitches don't work, fine. I'll put the guy on, but eventually I trust my stuff to get out of it. So his stuff is incredible. He has a ton of strikeouts. There's no question about that. My concern is just he doesn't go deep into games. So, like, you used to have the expression five and dive to denigrate a pitcher, saying, all right, he's just a five-inning guy. Now that's kind of the game, right? If you go five innings, all right, that's what we need. And that's kind of Blake Snell's M.O. He's only pitched 180 innings. He's not a 200-inning guy like a Logan Webb or Zach Wheeler or Zach Gallon, for that matter, who was also up for the Cy Young, as was Webb. So, listen, I think he's a tremendously talented pitcher. The fact he's only the seventh guy ever to win a signing award in both leagues speaks volumes. But the fact he's going to get between $150 and $200 million, I think it's a lot, and I think it's risky. And I think the Yankees saw what happened with Rodon 
giving him $27 million a year, and he was an absolute bust in year one. Like, that that kind of concern can happen sometimes. So I would be a little bit hesitant about giving him that much money, but he's going to get it. There's no doubt about it because um, he had the kind of season he had. He was able to cash in at the right time, and, and those kind of things matter. So as far as teams interested, listen, the Dodgers are definitely a good pick because they need some pitching. You know, Clayton Kershaw is a year-to-year guy at this point. Bobby Miller's really good. Papio's good. Walker Bueller coming off injury. But they could use a starter because Arias is done. Gonsolin's got Tommy John. I think Dustin May's not back until June. So they definitely have issues with regards to Los Angeles. They could use another starter if, indeed, they think they can contend. And if they do load up on Otani, he's not pitching next year anyways. So Blake Snell going in division makes sense to me. The one I really want to see, I don't think it'll happen, is the Baltimore Orioles because they clearly need a starting pitcher but I just don't think they're the team to spend that kind of money. They just haven't been big spenders, and they haven't done it this year. And at the trade deadline, when they clearly needed a starting pitcher, they traded for Jack Flaherty, and he was not the answer. It wasn't even a guy they ended up using come their playoff roster. So I think Baltimore is a team that's more likely to kind of make a trade, deal some of those great prospects that they have, go strength to strength. I think that might be the situation for them. But Snell is definitely the guy who's going to get paid, and uh, there's definitely no shortage of suitors out there who will want a premier lefty starter. Wouldn't be surprised. The Red Sox also interested. Craig Breslow will be aggressive. He's pitched in the American League East before. You know, lefties can take advantage of that, uh, not be scared of the green monster. So, uh, Blake's going to get paid, man. There's no doubt about it. At least 150. I heard John Heyman, my colleague at MLB Network, saying it could be in the range of Strasburg's deal, which was, I believe, $245 million. So, that, that's gigantic <laughs> to me. I don't know if it goes that high, but between 150 and 200, my man's going to get paid. Uh, this guy already got paid, surprisingly, never won a Cy Young before, but Garrett Cole, uh, a unanimous decision in the uh, AL side of things. Despite what was a terrible year for the Yankees overall, Adnan, 15-4 and record when he took the mound. He is the sixth Yankees pitcher to ever win the Cy Young in the first since Roger Clemens in 2001. I, I can't imagine uh, you have much of a disagreement when it, come to Garrett, when it comes to Garrett Cole and winning the Cy Young this year. No, in fact, Logo, it's been kind of underwhelming just how unanimous the award winners have been, and it's taken the drama out, but it doesn't mean these guys are any less deserving. I mean, Garrett Cole absolutely deserving of winning. He finished second twice, and the argument could have been made that he should have won previously when he lost to Verlander, I believe, in 17 or 19. Yep. So this time he actually wins, and, and there was no doubt about it. Like, he, he led in every major category with regard to the, you know, ton of strikeouts, fifth pitching war he led in, ERA was excellent, and he went deep into games, unlike Blake Snell. And as you pointed out, he really was the bellwether for the Yankees. If he, you know, he's pitching his win day. Otherwise, the Yankees were in trouble and were sub 500, and they were barely above 500 this year, 82 and 80. And Cole did everything in his power. I got to chat with him at the All Star game, and I found him very refreshing. He's very candid, and I said to him, "I never thought I'd tell a guy who's making 324 million dollars he'd be underpaid." So I'm not going to go that far, but you're worth every penny. And he just kind of laughed and he said, "You know, I haven't." trying to let those expectations get the best of me. I just try to focus on the game at hand. And his four-seamer particularly is as good a pitch in baseball. It's got what's called a run value of 29. Basically, it's a fancy way of saying nobody's hitting that four-seamer, especially up in the zone. He's so successful at putting some power in there and really kind of putting pressure on the hitter to hit that ball because if it's up, you know, you're going to have trouble catching up to it. And that's where Cole really lives high in that strike zone. So he's completely deserving of it. Nice to see a Blue Jay and Kevin Goss and be one of the finalists. He's got that great splitter, ton of strikeouts as well, worthy to mention. And Sonny Gray only went eight and eight. Like it's a long time away from when wins and losses mattered. But he had like a two seven nine ERA. Clearly, his numbers are really good for the Minnesota Twins. He's going to get paid as a free agent as well. So, 
overall it was a good class, but yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward. That's now was going to be a guy in the NL and Garrett Cole in the American League. Uh, speaking of the Jays, I know you're, you're on with our sister station in Toronto a lot, and uh, there's never a shortage of Blue Jays topics there. We've heard from some of the Jays brass that they're looking to add anywhere from one to four hitters to this lineup. I don't know this is the deepest free agent class we've ever seen, but is there a name or two out there that strikes you as a name that could be a, a strong fit for the Blue Jays to look at when it comes to free agency, Virk? Yeah, the hitters logo aren't particularly strong. You're absolutely right. You know, when you look at the, the class overall, you say, okay, Snell stands out. Yamamoto's supposed to be outstanding coming over from Japan, and he's 25 years of age. So I feel great about giving him $200 million. He's got a great fastball and a great split. I think Steve Cohen is not going to get outbid on him with the New York Mets. I mean, he's going to have a $35 million posting fee, and that's like peanuts. Uh, Steve Phillips, who's a great job at MLB Network Radio, he said $35 million to Steve Cohen, who has like $14 billion net worth. That's like 80 bucks to somebody who makes $100,000 a year. Like that's, that's how rich this guy is. So $35 million posting. That's, like, that's incredibly you know, depressing, Adnan. That's not a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's going to get a salary of $200 million in addition to the posting fee, which is just bananas. But he's great. And Snell is really good. I think Aaron Nola could get $180 million. He might be pushing 200 a guy who's been great for the Phillies. So those are the pitchers. But you're right. Hitter-wise, you go, okay, well, who's the guy aside from Otani and Bellinger? Otani gets 10 years, 500, 12 years, 550. Although Alden Gonzalez of ESPN is saying potentially he's open to a smaller deal, which really makes things interesting because now all of a sudden you get more teams involved. I, I think it's still the Dodgers no matter what, but imagine if the Braves go, hey, we can give you three years for 150. Next year you're only going to hit, so $30 million to hit, and then we'll give you $60 million for two years each when you're hitting and pitching, hopefully coming off of Tommy John for the second time. All of a sudden, that makes things intriguing. Having said that, I still don't think that he loses. I think it's the Dodgers. I think they'll go, hey, like I said, 12 for 550, 10 for 500. You're a guy. We'll figure it out. For the Jays, that means what do you got left? And it's Cody Bellinger because he's a former MVP, former rookie of the year, all-star, had a real renaissance this season. There's no doubt about it. Didn't quite get the 30 and 100, but he was close. I think it's like 27 home runs, 93 RBI, whatever it was. But I don't think he should leave Chicago. Like, I look at Bellinger's numbers, and I say to myself, this is a guy who – you know, he only hit buck sixty-five a couple of years ago. The COVID year, we could throw out the window, fine, no big deal. But two years, he was underwhelming and very subpar. Now he has a great year with Chicago. I'd be like, dude, I'm staying in Chicago. Whatever it was, playing at Wrigley, I felt comfortable, I felt confident. I'm going to stay here, and the Cubs will pay him. They're not going to pay Craig Council eight million dollars a year if they're not really all in. So I think Chicago is going to pay up and give him, let's say, seven for one seventy-five, maybe eight for two hundred. And even I'll be honest. If the Jays could give that kind of money, I don't know if I would. I like Bellinger a lot. I think he's a great guy. He's a great player. But I'm not totally convinced he's now fixed to being a great player and a dominant player to be able to give him that kind of money. But for the Jays, there's really not many options aside from hitters, unless you want to make a trade. Like, I've heard those reports, as have you, and that's why I still have those guys in Toronto that, you know, if it's Juan Soto, that's different. Maybe the Jays can say, all right, we'll give you a bunch of prospects. We'll back up the truck, and let's get Soto. We want the premier offensive player available via trade who's got one year left until he hits free agency. Because otherwise, it's, it's pretty sparse. You know, Matt Chapman's one of the best third basemen available. They're looking at he might get five years and $110 million. And I'm like, he had a 650 OPS after May 10th. Yeah. He had like 240, 17 home runs. I'm like, you're going to give that guy $110 million? I know he can pick it. I know he's superb defensively. He's a four-war player, but that's crazy. Like, if the Jays gave Chapman $100 million, to me, that's a mistake. So I don't know where they're going to get their offense, but they've got some options with Ballinger and Soto. 
Uh, before we let you go, uh, who would have thought that your favorite director of all time uh, would find a, a second light of fame on TikTok? Uh, his daughter has uh, blown it up for Martin Scorsese uh, on these new TikToks that he's been doing. He's been ranking films, and uh, he's kind of joked. He wasn't 100% sure about some of the picks he was making. He was just having fun with it. Did you ever imagine you'd see Martin Scorsese as a TikTok star? Oh, I love it, man. I never thought <laughs> I'd see it, but you're right. This isn't just people like me watching. It's like 2 million downloads, whatever number of hits people are watching, whatever number of impressions. It's amazing. And uh, it's so funny. He really got really leaned into the lead in, right? When you got the two movies there above your head, you got to kind of balance your head which one you're picking. So I just love anytime Marty's talking movies, not only his own movies, but other movies as well, because everyone knows in a film almanac he is. So I was surprised he picked Birdman over Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I was really happy he picked Birdman over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As much as I love Tarantino, I didn't think that was one of his stronger movies. I know people really love it. So I was happy that Marty, maybe he likes it, but he just really loves Birdman. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Michael Keaton, Edward Norton. So, but he actually played the game the right way because he has said many a time, as far as his favorite movies are concerned, 2001 A Space Odyssey is in that list. So whatever you want to say, maybe he didn't do it properly the entire way. Maybe he changed his mind on a couple of picks. But he adores Stanley Kubrick's film and ended up that being the number one. So I think his reaction when he hugged Francesca's daughter and uh, <laughs> Smiles again. He was like, all right, I won, because that is exactly what I wanted to say as far as the movies I was ranking here. Uh, you dropped a new edition of the Cinephile podcast yesterday. What uh, what did you guys go over on the latest edition? Yeah, we're talking about the latest movies now. I talked to the Holdovers writer, David Henningsen, who is a great guy. He's a terrific writer. And again, the Holdovers are one of my favorite movies of the year, so I encourage people to check it out. And as far as movies are concerned, Nicolas Cage is a new movie out, which is really entertaining. I encourage people to check out Dream Scenario. I mean, again, Cage is such a great actor, so uh, hopefully people will check it out. It's got that absurdist feel to it, very Charlie Coffin style. And I also watched The Marbles, which i got to be honest, that one's for the kids. I definitely did not enjoy that film. <laughs> You're the best, pal. Enjoy the weekend. Good luck to your Eagles on Monday, hey? Thanks, Logo. I can't wait. Especially coming off the bye week, Eagles Chiefs Monday night is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Take care, pal. Chat with you next week, hey? All right, Logo. Take care. Thanks, Adnan. Adnan Vert joining us. Down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. He's a Thursday regular here on Sportsnet 960. The fan Vegas relocation happening. The Oakland A's will be there in 2028 after uh, ownership uh, approval across the league today. We got Cy Young winners in the AL and the NL. Some potential targets for the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, for the movie nerds out there like me. The latest on the Cinephile podcast. All of that with our pal Adnan Verk. If you missed any of it. Or any of it, uh, any of the content from hour one, where we heard from a number of Flames players on a game day, including head coach Ryan Huska, Jonathan Huberto, Elias Lindholm. All of that available on the hour one podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Make sure to uh, rate and subscribe. Be along for the ride. The podcast go up moments after every hour finishes here on Sportsnet 960. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. Kick it off hour two with a Canucks preview. Bick Nazar is going to join us. Uh, it's a historic start to the season for the Vancouver Canucks. They're coming in off a win Wednesday against the New York Islanders. Let's check in on the Flames opposition. And yes, Thursday night football kicking off another week in the NFL tonight with the Ravens and the Bengals. We'll get into that and more when Hour 2 kicks off next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.